It's Wednesday, June 24th, and 61 days separate us from the start of the Republican National Convention. From WFAE Charlotte's NPR source, I'm Lisa Ward. And I'm Steve Harrison. And this is the Inside Politics Podcast, the RNC formerly in Charlotte. episode, we're going to talk to the man who is Charlotte's point person for hosting the now-aborted convention, former city council member John Laster, a Republican. He is, or was, the CEO of the local host committee. I've never believed that any of that could go anywhere. You know, I'm still kind of a little bit in shock that there was a decision to move it away, considering all of the constraints within our contracts. I talked to him about his disappointment with both sides, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper and the Republican National Committee. And about his vow that none of the $50 million he's raised will go to Jacksonville, Florida. And yes, about his shock that a convention he planned for two years exists now in name only. But first, we're going to spend a minute talking about Saturday night's MAGA rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the BOK Center, and whether that's a preview for the RNC in Jacksonville's Vice Star Arena. And not in a good way. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. As the Trump campaign said, more than a million people RSVP'd to the event. And the GOP built an outdoor stage. And then only a fraction of those one million people showed up. And, of course, teenagers from around the world are claiming to have trolled the Trump campaign by RSVPing online with no intention of going, partly spurred by this call to action on TikTok. I recommend that all of those of us that want to see this 19,000-seat auditorium barely filled or completely empty, go reserve tickets now and leave him standing there alone on the stage. What do you say? The campaign started taking down the outdoor stage before the event even finished inside. There were probably 6,200 people inside the arena, but nowhere near what they expected. The Trump campaign blamed the low attendance on fears over protesters and the pandemic. And I think that's interesting for Jacksonville, right? Because the convention was moved from Charlotte because Cooper wouldn't guarantee them a full-spectrum center. So what happens if there are delegates and other people who aren't comfortable being inside a packed arena for the RNC either? Especially since it's looking like there will be more COVID cases circulating in Florida and across the nation in two months than there are today. So we're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear from the head of Charlotte's host committee and how he's determined not to hand over the $50 million he raised to Jacksonville. Hey, folks, news is changing every minute, each hour, each day. WFAE is there with you each step of the way, keeping you updated with the latest headlines and providing context for the bigger stories. That's without a paywall, without a barrier to information. Now more than ever, your support makes local independent news and podcasts possible. If you value Inside Politics, make a contribution in any amount, $5, 10 $15, you name it, by hitting the donate button on wfae.org slash insidepolitics. And thanks. Okay, we're back. So imagine you have to make the pitch to companies and individuals to contribute lots of money to showcase Charlotte during the Republican National Convention. And you raise $50 million on that pitch. It takes you two years. And then there's a pandemic. And a disagreement between the governor and the GOP over how many people can gather safely. And on Memorial Day, you see a tweet from the president that says the GOP may be forced to find another home for the convention. 
Well, that's the plight of John Laster, the head of Charlotte's host committee. He has a long history in Charlotte politics, but he'd been out of the political arena since 2009 when he lost the mayoral race to Democrat Anthony Fox. That race came after Pat McCrory had been mayor for 14 years, and it was a big surprise when a Democrat won. Lester was named CEO of the local host committee in the summer of 2018. Their main job was to raise $70 million for the convention and to secure things like the arena, the contractor to build the stage, all the transportation, the hotels. Pretty much everything. So, Steve, you spoke with Laster last week about how everything fell apart. Let's take a listen. When did you kind of realize things were breaking down and it was not going to be the convention here that you envisioned? Well, about 9.15 on on Memorial Day, I saw a tweet from the President of the United States indicating that the convention would not be held in Charlotte. Uh, That was a pretty good clue. And then various acts uh, and inaction occurred over the, the days to follow that became real clear leading up to a formal announcement that the convention was moving to Jacksonville. So you guys were in the go. I know there was talks with the city. You know, you were there, people from the RNC, but you feel like at that point that was just kind of a, it was already done. Once the leader of the Republican Party said what, what was going to happen, it kind of closed the door. We had attempted to bring all the parties together. So we'd reached out to the RNC, to the governor, to the city, to have people sit down and kind of talk this through. We never heard back from the governor's office. And by that point, the RNC was frustrated with an inability to get any kind of compromise that they thought could count on in August. And then we began the process of unwind, and that obviously today. So you talked, you said you never heard from the governor's office. There was obviously that back and forth, kind of that uh, very public, the letters going back and forth between the governor and the the RNC. But uh, were you trying to get the governor in to say, if we can't do a full arena, what can we do? And you're saying you just never got any input on that. Never got a response. So that was, I mean, calls and emails, and it was just, just silent. Well, I mean, I, you know, the governor knew where, where we were, what we were doing. And the negotiation between the RNC and the governor's office had broken down so significantly that there was a decision on the part of the governor's office. I think that we're not going to provide any more compromise. And they were kind of locked into a no more than 10 people. And the thing that I think most disturbing for me is the impact that has on a lot of organizations, you know, broader and more impactful long-term than a, a political convention. I know that obviously the arena was a big deal. Can't have a full arena, need masks, need social distancing. But even the 10-person limit in terms of hotels and hotel ballrooms, they weren't budging on that is what you're saying. No, no, it's, they're still not open today. I mean, I thought maybe there might be this idea of like, once we got past the arena that we might have this talk of like, well, we can do 50 in a hotel ballroom with social distancing, but you're saying that never even got got that far. Uh, it's, it's made no progress. Given that, it seems like the RNC almost had no choice, right, to go somewhere else? Well, you know, I, I wasn't in the negotiations directly with the governor because we didn't we never heard back. But there should have been some give and take, and there's not. And you can debate all you want about you know how serious we are today, what's happening. I mean, there's been continued spikes in, in the amount of COVID cases identified in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And with the RNC bringing the 336 delegates here for this, quote, business convention, do you feel like they're just doing that to satisfy some contractual obligations? Well, they, they're not going to satisfy contractual obligations because they've breached our agreements. And so if they want to hold additional business meetings here, we will facilitate that and we 
we know that is at least some amount of positive activity that will benefit our hospitality industry. How many rooms they take, how many meetings they have, we don't know the answer to that. Uh, it will not be our responsibility. So our contractual obligations exist only for the purpose of the National Political Convention, and that has been moved to Jacksonville. We're not going to stand in the way of that because we believe in our city. We believe in the industries and organizations and services that will benefit from that. But, you know, the 150 to $70 million of economic impact that we had anticipated and were prepared for is not going to come. You can't displace that with a group of 500 people. So you're saying with the group of 500 that they're going to bring, essentially they're on their own. The local host committee is not going to be lining up rooms and, and space and things like that. That's, that's their thing. And so. Yeah, we, we had the reservations on all the hotel rooms, about 15,000 to begin with. And um, they've been slowly kind of backing those hotel contracts out. They'll retain some number, you know, by less than half a dozen. But you won't have the flow of other folks who come to a convention. So if it's a sliver of what it's going to be, and that's going to help some number of folks, then we need to allow that to occur and facilitate it without taking away from what our core mission has clearly been from the beginning. Now, the host committee was tasked with raising $70 million. I think you said you guys have commitments for $50 million at this point. And you've also said that none of that money is going to go to Jacksonville. Is that right? That's correct. None of the money that we have raised, none of the money that has been committed to us, none of the services and products that we have built out will be used in Jacksonville. Are they in agreement with that? Or do you anticipate there being a fight over this and possibly lawsuits over that money? Who, who is they? Oh, the Republican National Committee. Um, no, they would like to have some of that to carry out their obligations down there. So as we kind of work through these differences and you know, analysis of the legal position, um, those are some of the issues we have to wrestle with. And when did you decide that? Because obviously they'll have this feeling that you were raising money for a political convention. I assume they'll feel like they're entitled to some of that. Your position is we were raising money for a political convention in Charlotte. Well, actually, we were raising money for economic development in Charlotte. The nature of our 501c3 is an economic development organization, and its full focus is to bring the excitement and spend and activity that comes with a convention that was promised by the Republican National Committee. So I've never believed that any of that could go anywhere. You know, I'm still kind of a little bit in shock that there was a decision to move it away considering all of the constraints within our contracts. So it wasn't just an immediate revelation. It's just the, the contracts are pretty clear. There could be litigation from them to you wanting to access that money. But do you anticipate there being litigation from the host committee to the RNC seeking damages for not bringing the convention here? Well, I think right now we're trying to amicably work through our differences and make sure that our obligations are paid. We still have to go through a wind-down process, and we've got to terminate vendor agreements and venue reservations and a, a significant number of obligations that go into the tens of millions of dollars. All those have to be kind of unwound. You don't start that process thinking litigation. You start that process thinking constructive, good-faith negotiation. And that's where we are today with a position, here are the things you need to resolve, and here's what they cost. And let's sit around a table and work it out so that that host committee is not left um, holding the bag. And importantly, the city is not adversely affected financially. So, you know, there's a $50 million security grant that the city, I believe, has submitted about $14, $15 million worth 
of reimbursable cost. Those need to be paid to these out those dollars. And we expect to be made whole, and we will aggressively defend that position. You kind of started this interview mentioning the president's tweet on Memorial Day. I mean, the president has a long history, going back as a private businessman, to breaking contracts when he feels like it's necessary. I mean, no one could have obviously envisioned a pandemic, but knowing what you know now, does his reaction and his behavior, does it surprise you that he acted this way? Well, it's not for me to judge or evaluate the actions of the president. We are not a political organization. We're an economic development organization, and we are barred from political activity. So we have contracts with a political organization, the Public and National Committee, but not contracts with a um, political person like the president or even you know person like the governor. So we, we have to kind of carry out our obligations as best we can and view what's important for our city and our region. And going back to the money issue, some of it is cash in hand that you guys needed to pay your employees and keep the lights on. But I assume a lot of this is also kind of pledges. And I assume that a lot of those companies are, are essentially released from their obligations. Is that right? Well, no, no. If someone still wants to pay their pledge, and it's no different than if they pledge money to a church building campaign or a um, United Way, or you, know, you, you pick the places people oftentimes pay their pledges over time, uh, we would expect people to pay their pledges. And if they do, those funds can be used to offset our losses in Charlotte. I don't know that we start a big collection activity. We're not, we're not at that point. We're still trying to work through these issues. But those are our receivables. And if they're paid, they stay in the city of Charlotte. You talk about your losses because you guys had to run a payroll for several months. Um, several years. Several years. So how much are you, because I assume a lot of money was going to be pouring in late this summer to prepare for the convention. So kind of where are you guys now in terms of your organization, in terms of getting into the black? Well, we've got some significant obligations that have not been released yet. So we still owe money to the Hornets for the use of Spectrum Center. We owe money to contractors who were supposed to build that out. We owe money to people who were developing transportation systems. We owe money to folks that were running parking lots and and venues. So there are a lot of obligations, and like I said, they go into the tens of millions that are currently pending. That is part of our ongoing conversations with the RNC to make it right to the city of Charlotte. That's John Laster, head of Charlotte's host committee, speaking with WFAE Steve Harrison. And that's the latest on the RNC, not in Charlotte. For more updates, make sure to go to WFAE.org. New episodes of this podcast are available as soon as news breaks, so don't miss out. Subscribe to Inside Politics for free on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the episode, make sure to give it a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can support WFAE's journalism by hitting the donate button on WFAE.org. Until next time, I'm Lisa Worth. Catch you real soon on Inside Politics.